Hi. Hi. So, um, what's this book about? You didn't read this one either? Well, I was gonna, but I uh, accidentally read something else. What? Vogue. I hated the book, all right? I have no idea what it's about, and the writer was clearly on drugs when he wrote it. I mean, it just, it went on and on and on like it was written in a total hurry. If I handed in something like this, there's no way I'd get a good grade on it. I mean, it's boring and it's unorganized. And I only read 30 pages of it anyway. Well, that was passionate, albeit entirely misinformed. Who dares follow Miss Kelly's lucid analysis? It's required reading. With Tom and Stella. Episode 40. Empathy and in and through literature. We should have picked a preposition for that. <laughs> Special. Welcome to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, a podcast that is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. This podcast is all about books and literature, and each month we take a thorough look at one piece of literature that we have both read and determine whether it is worthy of its reputation. I'm your host, or one of your hosts, Tom Panneries, and uh, in this month, where which is our recording schedule is a little crazy due to personal life commitments, but she is here with me, the more empathetic of the two of us, I guess you would say. Please welcome Stella to the show. That's interesting. <laughs> I wonder, I guess there is sort of a spectrum of empathy potentially, uh, but I, I mean, so. at least we both have it, which is good. Mm. It's a good starting point. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's good to be here. I think, I don't know when it, when the last time was that we talked, but it sure did feel <laughs> feel like a long time. And I thought, oh, no, I hope Tom doesn't think I've yeah. forgotten about him because I knew it was always there. And then finally, at my Monday and Tuesday opened up. I was like, hey, I can mm. finally record again. Yeah. It, it was like January. It was like close to like oh, wow. Martin okay. Luther King weekend or something <laughs> where, where the two of us last were actually were recorded even if we put an episode out in february so but you know as much as you've been busy with the player and i've just been slammed at work with stuff so it's just it's it's one of the pitfalls of of having a day job when you're a podcaster <laughs> so well it's I'm, I'm glad we were able to get together for this mm-hmm. um and and we're trying to keep our schedule intact we have never missed a month that we didn't plan on missing that's true so we, we've always kept we've always kept our schedule. We've always told you whether or not we would be missing a month. So mm-hmm. that's that's good. So but we, we actually are on episode 40. So this is one of our multiples of 10. Mm-hmm. 
which means we don't have a specific book. Um, we've looked at different concepts before. I think we did pop culture. We did autobiography. I'm trying to remember what we did, what the other one was that we did. And I can't. Expanded universe. Yes, expanded universes. And that was fun, too. And now we're at episode 40, which means at some point later this year, I believe, oh. if I'm doing the math or early next year, we'll hit episode 50. I can hardly believe it. Which is, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, we decided to um, to pull from the doc that we have going of, of special ideas and empathy was on there. And I know it's a concept that is near and dear to both of our hearts because we teach middle and high school respectively. So we teach beings that are empathy challenged is mm. a good way of putting it yeah. sometimes. <laughs> so I think, and and we, we've been trying to come up with an idea of, you know, how do we approach that? Because, you know, we had said empathy in through in and in through literature parentheses, we need to pick a preposition and, um, and, you know, We've we've done the thing where we've looked at a we've looked at a genre and we've looked at um, parts of a genre or something about it. So this is more of a concept or a theme, and so it's way more abstract than say a category of a book or what yeah. makes an autobiography autobiography or what's good about expanded universes and, and um, novelizations that sort of thing. But I think that. Uh, when you get to something like abstract concepts like this, you are really getting into like literary analysis because empathy and, and other things that relate to it have a rich literary background or heritage because there are works of literature that really do lend themselves to either exploring the concept or providing it perhaps to an audience or seeing how a character goes through the steps to be more empathetic toward uh, a person, a group of people, whatever the circumstances of the plot may be. And that's something that, um, you know, so it's, so this might be a little more difficult for us in terms of like, you know, okay, are we hitting our mark? But at the same time, I think it's, uh, I think it's worth exploring. So, but we got to start before we even get to, you know, what does this all have to do with literature by actually like defining what empathy is mm. because we talk about it. We certainly complain about the fact that our students sometimes have none. And and I'll actually bring that up. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. What, what is it? To, well, sort of. Um, but what is it? I mean, there's a – I have a dictionary definition. Sure. The understanding of or the ability to identify with another person's feelings or experiences. So that's kind of a denotation. I don't know what it is to you. Like when you hear the word empathy, what do you think of? How do you define it personally? Yeah. So empathy, I think on its base level is being able to relate to someone else that most likely has a different story than your story and is going through something different. So it's it should not be easy necessarily it's something where you have to step outside of yourself and put someone just like Atticus says in To Kill a Mockingbird it's not enough to to walk in someone's shoes but to walk in their skin that sort of idea and it's more active than because I think there is we joked about this 
I guess recently, just moments ago, <laughs> the spectrum of mm-hmm. empathy. But I think empathy yeah. is also on its own spectrum of how to relate to a human being because I think at the very base you have pity where you're kind of feeling sorry for someone, sympathy where you might actually feel that feeling but still you're not mm-hmm. engaging as much. Empathy, you're like finally engaging with that feeling and really putting yourself out there. And I think potentially compassion might be at the, at the like the peak of it, but you're certainly working up. It's not passive. You're actively engaged with somebody else. And it's, as far as I know, um, overall very positive. There shouldn't be mm-hmm. any form of negative empathy. I don't know that that's necessarily possible, though I do think, and this is a question that either I asked or you asked, that too much empathy may exist and may be detrimental to the person. So I do think that there's a, a possibility of, of uh, empathy becoming negative, but you can never have like negative empathy, if that makes sense. It's, it's a positive thing. You're actively engaged with someone and really putting yourself out there, stepping outside of yourself in your experience and going into somebody else's life. That's how I define empathy. Yeah, I wonder if that idea of having too much empathy or is is where has to do more with ego than being empathetic of the sort of almost like a false empathy i wonder if if you have somebody who comes off or or presents themselves as somebody who's very empathetic but if you actually there's almost like a a a falsity to it because it it actually is more about them than it is about the other person. Not that not that empathy is martyrdom in any in that sort of sense, but that there's this. You're right. There's this sense that a deep understanding and feeling for someone, or, or shared experience, or sharing of a feeling with somebody in a, some some way that even when it has no direct impact on you, that like you're stepping out of your own ego. You're stepping out of, you know, whether or not it actually affects you personally. You know, is your life going to be richer or worse off? Are you going to be worse off for the fact that this person is dealing with this? And I don't know, like when I think of empathy, it doesn't matter what what the effect is on you. You stand nothing to gain or lose. You know, you are you are offering support in a way but you're in a way that goes beyond pity and we did have a question about whether or not you know what what's the difference between or is there a line between empathy and understanding and i wonder if it has to do with the action you take upon realizing that you understand or that you are walking around in their skin to use the um the the atticus finch uh analogy because here's the thing, if it's toward a group of people who are not like you or toward another person who doesn't have – who you're not going to necessarily have the same experiences as, if you have to keep being put inside their skin time and time again, are you truly gaining understanding? Are you truly being empathetic? I mean like shouldn't you be learning something and then being – taking action and therefore being proactive or or going on to be able to be a better ally toward a person i mean you know if you're constantly being taught the same lesson you are obviously picking up picking that up and i might not be articulating that particularly well do you understand what i'm talking about like how people can seem to be empathetic yet they never seem to move past like square one on on that journey yeah 
I do, yes. I, I think that's the active role in, in being empathetic, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I wonder, are there, and, and I think there are some questions that I, I put in our document, which we'll get to, but are there mm-hmm. times when we should not step past that role? Because I'm just thinking of, you know, people we may, you, <laughs> you know, if we go to the extreme and say, you know, Stalin or so, you know, someone like that, <laughs> yeah. um, can't, should we have empathy for that? Or is it just understanding? Like that's the only level that we should go through and we should not step past that because then it gets into kind of dangerous territory and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we should. I think having that understanding is like the base level of what a human being <laughs> should be able to do. And then you need to be able to also grow past that and and. Um, become an ally and I think I mean just think of how wonderful the world would be if everyone exercised empathy I think it it would change things so much Um, but I do see what you're saying about understanding and and where's that step so I think that gets to the spectrum of empathy quite honestly Mm -hmm. that might be at the base level of okay I understand where you're coming from I disagree with it though you know that sort of thing and potentially that's uh, allowable Um, I'm trying to think you know when I teach and go through Caesar and um, he talks about the Gauls and the Druids and everything, and the Druids do human sacrifice, and so we talk about that. And even with the Romans, and and we've had this discussion with the Julius Caesar play and, and suicide. Mm-hmm. I completely understand like why it makes sense for a life for a life for the Druids. Like if you're trying to protect someone, and they're going off to battle. It makes sense that you're going to sacrifice because the gods are looking at the, um, or their gods anyways, feel like a life equals a life. So that definitely makes sense. And then the suicide thing, how that's honorable. I totally understand that. Um, and you know, I might disagree with human sacrifice cause I'm not going to commit it. And, and I disagree with, um, suicide now cause it's, it's culturally rather different. Um, so, so I I think that's one of those um, examples of potentially understanding, but not necessarily mm-hmm. moving in and being like, I'm going to support you in your human sacrificing. So mm-hmm. I think that's one of those. And I think it, it probably comes with a situation. Um, with each situation, I think you have to approach it in a different way and see to what level you can because i mean do you think that we can always move and be an ally in every situation or do you think that it does depend i I honestly think it depends on what what you agree with um and perhaps your moral compass see i don't know if it's if it's empathy or understanding of somebody who is is monstrous say they are you know using using an example like a stalin or a hitler or some sort of dictator um or the people who support them or the people who you know some kind of walking away by degrees closer to you know the everyday people who are who are bigots in our normal society I would never want to be an ally of one of those people, mm. you know, because I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to support that yet. Yet there's a certain understanding of the logic with it, within which they operate that mm. actually can be helpful in combating them. It's because there are, the, you know, they're online and, and, and stuff and they're on common threads and they're on Twitter and you are disgusted by what they have to say. But if you step back and start to kind of pro- 
process through like, okay, well, how did they reach that conclusion? How did they make that reaction to um, this? Why are they saying that, you know, like, and I'm, you know, like um, what they're suggesting or whatever their, their comment is. And I think it's, it's valuable to you as somebody who's actually a combatant might be not the best word, but who's, who's against their, their viewpoint to understand their viewpoint, not because you, you're giving it any sort of credit or, or, or saying that it's okay, but because understanding the person on the other side of the argument is key for you to destroying them. So, you know, you, you can't, you, and, and, and that's a problem I have with some of the people whose, whose views I support where, you know, I've talked to very rational people about like, you know, why, why, uh, why homophobes think certain ways, right? Racist think certain ways and, or, or like, you know, why, why Trump supporters think certain ways. And, some of the people who like, you know, I've had rational conversations with are like, yeah, that you, they totally understand where it's coming from. And you can tell that we're both having a conversation about, you know, how they think. And then it's like, well, this is, this is a way that I can kind of, you know, maybe raise my own discourse to, you know, I don't know, rebut better or not engage, you know, like whatever, whatever the strategy may be. But then I have other people whose, whose viewpoints I share very well. And I start having that conversation and they get completely offended as if I believe that. And I'm like, no, I don't. (laughs) But at the same time, you have to understand like how many people I know who are like that. So this is, this is, I know how they think. And I think, Mm -hmm. I think that is some form of empathy. It may be not the empathy of, of Atticus Finch, but it is um, but there's some form of it there. And I think that's that's like that might just be understanding or something. But, yeah, I think you're right when you use the word spectrum or sliding scale or whatever we want to say that there's a that things different things fall on it. And mm-hmm. so um, I can I guess like like how do you how do we define just because we're working our way toward literature and I think allyship is a good avenue to explore as well um, because we've heard a lot about it in the last four or five years, six years when you're talking about issues such as race, gender, sexuality, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and being of the, in my case, the, you know, cishet white, you know, uh, middle class type, um, uh, I cannot endure what you know other people are going through so my role is so my role and my lesson to learn that i'm learning and and the thing that i work on is okay how can i be a better ally and i think that requires some sort of empathy but i but there are times where i don't know what a good ally is Mm. so and and to me it's like is it just as an english teacher is being an ally simply bringing in a crap ton of diversity into the literature that I'm teaching or do I go further? So like, you know, those are the questions that I was jotting down as I was taking some notes on this today. So, you know, what I, what is allyship and how can we be good allies both as just human beings and then maybe just in our profession as teachers? Yeah. I think education is something mm-hmm. that is one of the ways that we can do it because a lot of this stuff uh, that's happening and the human beings that we're seeing walking around and positive or negative interactions with other human beings, it comes from inner, you know, it comes from education. 
I think we, we can talk, of course, about nature versus nurture. And I think nature certainly does play a part. But you've got your parents teaching kids. And then if you think mm-hmm. about it, during the school year, we see students more than parents do at home. We have them that much. And yeah. so we have such a responsibility and the potential to really teach them um, some golden nuggets to grow up to be actual, you know, good human beings. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're going against the grain because stuff is already in there that shouldn't be in there and you've got to fight with that. But, you know, I just think about some, some, you know, like Roger Ailes or, um, you know, some of the people that have hit Ooh. Harvey, you know, you just people that Harvey, Harvey wonder, like, team, yeah. yeah, you like look at uh, what happened there and just some education on maybe, you know, how to proper, like proper relationships between men and women or how to treat other people, especially women in their cases that could go uh, a long way. And I, I'm even seeing now, you know, at the place that I work, that there are some unsettling things going on and. And, you know, not to, like, condemn these kids because they're only 16, 17, 18. But this is what happens, unfortunately, is if that education isn't there now, they grow up to be potentially, you know, the Roger Ailes or the Weinsteins. And so it needs to happen. So I think that's one way for us to be allies. I think going out there and um, supporting them in marches or things like that without asserting us and, you know, if we're at like a a black rally and asserting our white, you know, not doing that, uh, potentially being a a silent bystander. But at least being there and being present, I think that's another way to be to be allies. But I think for us, you know, being teachers, that education, it, it could go so far. Yeah, we and we um, and and one of the questions I had jotted down was why don't teenage boys usually seem to have seem to have empathy? (laughs) But that's something that, you know, it's and I know that with teenagers and I I don't want to leave girls completely out of it because I've seen girls do some really nasty stuff to each other. But um, but a boy boys in general, I just they're always the ones I have the most issue with. Um. And and then I then they a lot of them grow up to be these men who, especially on Twitter, <laughs> don't exhibit that that empathetic streak. So you know, yeah, there's that's like where where are we failing? Is it education? Is it like the way we raise boys and men? And you know, and, and thinking about what our role is in um, as educators. And, and I'm glad you brought up the whole idea of the the way of asserting yourself or inserting yourself into a struggle where your job as an ally is to be the support and hang back and 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 not take the center stage you know like especially especially if you were at like a rally or something for black lives matter for instance mm-hmm. um and you're showing up to support yeah you don't need to be on the stage to be talking <laughs> But it's a good example of, okay, inserting yourself into something that, like, you think you're being an ally, but at the same time, no, you're actually undermining what you're adding. You you keep butting in with your opinion, and it's like, yeah, but it's not about you. Um, So it's just – it's interesting to see, like, how we're – this whole concept of allyship really does seem to be still kind of forming for a lot of people – um, especially a lot of those of us who are still kind of waking up to our, you know, what our privilege has been and what we can do with that. 
but I do want to turn it to literature unless you have yeah. any comments beyond that. Um, no, I mean, it's a bit of a head scratcher in regard and, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be sexist, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to say that it's, it's the, the men. I... Oh, it's totally the men. <laughs> You can be sexist because because my thing was, why don't white men have empathy on Twitter? And I sanitized the question. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's hard. I don't know, because I asked a similar question because I saw bombshells and I wondered, what is it? I mean, I'm sure that there are women in power that have taken advantage sexually of men. And those men probably haven't mm-hmm. spoken up for shame, shame reasons. But it just yeah. seems like what's happened. Why can't the men, you know, control their urges kind of thing? And, uh, you know, I asked this in the in the lunchroom and they're like, it's literally it's like the chemistry and the and the brain and everything like the men just lack self-control um, or have a weaker self-control than than women do. And so I don't know yeah. if it's if. Is it brain chemistry and and that makeup that that limits them? Um, is it upbringing? I mean, this is also getting into the Gillette commercial that um, caused some waves last year, and just like how gee, our I try boys, to remember that. I know how our boys being raised and everything. Like you need to assert it, your whiteness, uh, assert uh, your manhood, and yeah. not care about the little guy. Is that how they're being raised? And then see, we're starting off poorly. Then I. Yeah, well, I think so not being somebody who studied psychiatry on the level of where I could totally explain whether or not there is something chemical. I mean, like, let's say maybe there is. But I think at the same time, that can be used as a cop out. So like so one of the things I hear about teenagers all the time in my field, in our field, sorry, is, well, their brains aren't fully developed. Right. You probably you may have heard that before from somebody. And on some level, I understand that. And we talk about neuroplasticity. We talk about how the brain can be is malleable and how and how the fact that these teenagers brains aren't totally formed is something that is advantageous to us because we are we are helping them learn. And that gives us a better understanding of how they act and react in certain situations. Yet at the same time, I hear it used as an excuse for shitty behavior. Mm-hmm. I'll believe that. So, you know, the kind of like, you know, in, in almost a more sophisticated way of saying boys will be boys. Yeah. And I think the, I think, so my, because I don't know much beyond what I've just heard in terms of just general stuff from, you know, edu babble, um, I tend to fall on the nurture side because when I think of these people who are, you know, who are going to jail or being, you know, prosecuted for massive sexual harassment things. And if you want a very good book about all of this, Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. I just read it earlier last month. Now, content warning. It is explicitly about how he investigated the Harvey Weinstein sexual harassment. So it's graphic in detail and has some very graphic detail about Matt Lauer. Mm. <laughs> but um, it is a very good look into, you know, how that was all found out, how it was covered up for years and years and years. So it's a combination of power. So power is a big part of it. In addition to whatever sexual gratification or hormonal thing there is, you know, you you notice that a Harvey Weinstein or a Matt Lauer, Matt Lauer, who was lost his job at the Today Show because he's horrific in terms of what he did, what he was doing was not to his was not necessarily to 
like Katie Couric, for instance. You know, it was it was an exercise of power under people who over people who were like under under him in in rank, you know, mm. that and the same thing with Weinstein. Weinstein was a studio exec. You know, he was an executive producer. He held the purse strings. He could be the person to make or break your career in Hollywood. So these actresses, you know, he could hold your career over his head and he could tell he could basically tell a bunch of directors that you were hard to work with and tarnish your reputation, basically blacklist you. So there's a power structure thing going on there. And then there's the fact that you know, for decades and decades and generations, so you know, your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, um, they might not have acted like that, but there was a certain amount of entitlement that has been passed down in generations of men toward women, and, and that a lot of us, it's almost like we're programmed that over from a very young age that, you know, you are entitled to this girl or something or, you know, or that you know so so when you're rejected because a girl's not interested the, the, so what the hell is wrong with her and the, you know there's there some people react very very angrily because they felt like you know how dare she reject me and bless you and we've been brought up to be bless you and we've been brought up to you're right you we've been brought up the way we were raised you know in, in this competition um you know sports is a big factor and it's because you know you see the way people treat you know, athletes and the way athletes are lionized in a big way and and how it's very male dominated male driven and very yeah just that sort of testosterone dominance ideal and, and i think that you know so once we um there's an entire documentary called um Oh crap! It's like the mask you live in, or the mask, or the skin you live in, or something. It's the companion piece to misrepresentation, which was a documentary, a feminist documentary about women and advertising and and, and pop culture and stuff. And it was really, really good because it's basically about like you know why we don't teach boys that they can acknowledge their feelings, that it's okay to cry, that it's okay to feel sympathy, that it's feel empathy, understand femininity in a sense, because that's the other thing. Like you know we're you're brought up with this whole this is where toxic masculinity comes from right you're brought up with this whole concept of masculinity and like you know what a man is and it's just like and it's so dangerous because you're because you're conditioned that you know well you know that you're that you're soft that you're weak that you're you know you can throw a bunch of gay slurs at somebody because they, I don't know, wear pink or something like that, you know? So, so there's, there's that. And there's a lot of men whose programming lunch really, really deep to that. So I tend to fall on the nurture side. Um, but like I said, that's because I don't have much of a bio psych psychiatric background on it. And I, and that was a ramble. I apologize. <laughs> I'm so tired of men. No. <laughs> oh. And I am when I'm just so tired of white men. I'm so yeah. tired of them. I've been on Twitter too much lately. <laughs> anyway, so so getting so so my my you know hatred of my fellow gender aside, my whole rage subsiding. And we do need to get into literature. And I'm glad you brought up Atticus Finch because that was the first work that I listed was to kill a mockingbird, which, cause it is a central lesson or theme of the novel that you, um, it's, and it's a lesson that he's trying to teach scout and gem throughout, you know, uh, because there's a subplot with gem where he, um, Oh, he like wrecks his neighbor's flower bed or something. And then as a punishment, 
he has to go read to the woman but and, and and then she ends up passing away and it was like she was trying to kick a morphine habit and it was just this whole like you know um, you don't know what somebody is going through sort of lesson. And then, of course, the other example of a person in there is uh, more than likely, I believe it's Boo Radley that they're, you know, again, that they're asked uh, um, that they're made to understand, like, you know, who this person is, because to them, Boo Radley's like the scary guy down the block. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get around to Kill a, Mock- to, to Kill a Mockingbird on this show, because mm-hmm. it's one of the you know, most well-known books in American literature of the 20th century. So why did you go, you know, I told you why I kind of looked, thought of Atticus Finch at first. Like, was, was that your first thought or was there anything else? Uh, my first literature thought? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I had one particular, I mean, there I've been batting a couple around uh, depending on what question we have. You know, for me with, I try to, I mean, I am a bit of a slave to the Rory Gilmore reading list right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But in general, I try to read literature that is a character or focuses on a character that has a different story than me. And it is nice to see myself in some characters. Um, But I also just very much like to learn about other backstories and things. And it's funny because I was just having a discussion about this, about Song of Solomon, and I just – I had to give it back to the person I borrowed it because I just couldn't get into it. Um, because if I can't, you know, engage, it's like, well, I, I think uh, I'll just, you know, I've got other things gotcha. I can read. Um, that so, you know, Kill a Mockingbird, I think, is a big one. I was thinking about the hate you give. I think mm-hmm. is a, a really big one that I've read recently. I think I guess I read it last year, or the year before, uh, just because completely different character for me, different uh, life circumstances, and also engaging with uh, a troublesome section of of America's history with um you know shootings of of young black men uh, by police mm-hmm. and and everything that comes with that so I, I would say that's one of the big ones but you know to kill a mockingbird if we're going for literature that historically is is up there with empathy and mm-hmm. perhaps one of the first you know if you think about it cuz a lot of things you know Jane Eyre or Vanity Fair their job their goal is not empathy um it's got no. some sort of social issues trying to marry rich you've got you know all that's this that's not really mm-hmm. uh, what they were going for but i feel like to kill a mockingbird is that first one that they were, or she was Harper Lee was really trying to put something new and different out there that could have been really, probably was really unsettling for people at the time. Yeah, I, and I was, um, I was trying to think of you mentioned that you give. I actually haven't read that. I have a copy that I borrowed from a coworker um, that is on my pile. Uh, um, but I do. I was thinking of more recent. I was thinking of recent stuff as well. Um, uh, that. Because I because I'm also trying to think of like okay what could I you know use in ninth grade English and that, that's a book that keeps coming up um, yeah I was trying to think of other works that um, that are, are are good gateways to understanding you know people who you know if we're if we're taking the tack of, of empathy for or, or shared experience or understanding the experiences of people who are not you know are not like you. Um, and looking at, say, uh, and it's been now, you have to forgive me, it's been a very long time since I read it, but I jumped to something like Ellison's Invisible 
can. Um, mm. Uh, and, uh, some of the, you know, some of the other stuff that, you know, we, um, and, you know, and, and I know, I know we've, we've brought it up. We brought it up last episode and we covered it two episodes, but Ta-Nehisi Coates is, uh, between the world and me certainly has that, I don't know, for me that, that's what, that, you know, that was what I was, what I was, I did not get across very particularly was trying to, you could see that, you know, there's, um, there's a chance to read that and, and gain that level of understanding, um, and then, you know, then then grapple with, OK, what am I going to do with this in terms of, um, you know, acting upon the understanding that I've gained through reading a story? Um, and that's a and that is an autobiography. Word is autobiographical. Um, and, and, you know, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, even though it has basis in some of Harper Lee's real life, is uh, is largely, you know, it's fiction, um, which I think there might be actually a difference there. Um, you know, you look at something like like an autobiography or, or a memoir, and I wonder if that's it's easier to gain empathy toward the person because they are giving us access to who they are literally through their story so and they relate experiences that um a lot of the audience might not be able to understand but some of the audience or, or uh, some of their audience might so uh you know Elie Wiesel for instance mm. in in Night was you know um unless you are a fellow survivor or the family member of a survivor you are not going to have that close of a connection with uh with the holocaust you know, but he wants us to read it so that we understand what happened. And so we can take that, you know, it's weird, so that we bear witness and we can take that, you know, we can take action on whatever we need to take action on. Um, March, which we covered, is another one. I was just thinking of that today because I just read George Takei's book, um, uh, They Call This Enemy which is his graphic novel autobiography about his time as a, Jap- a prisoner in the Japanese, uh, Japanese American internment camps in world war two. And I highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, but I was thinking, so that's where the, the concept of empathy came up for me, like mouse mouse. Yeah. Mouse. So, and these are, these are events for which, which you and I will never fully understand. Mm-hmm. In terms of how it felt for that person, is it possible to feel empathy for that person? Like, how? Where does that fall on that spectrum that we've sort of defined? Which when person? You, um, the person who has gone through a atrocity. Oh, I see. You know, who has been attacked by police and beaten, um, who has seen family members get shot by or, or imprisoned or killed by the police, the government, etc. who is a whose parent or who was a victim of um, of Nazi, you know, of the Nazi death camps. Like, how do we relate to that person through their work when they, you know, they're they're asking us to bear witness to our work? What's our what's our mission in achieving some sort of empathetic understanding? And, and what do we go from there? Yeah. Yeah, if it's fictional, um, I think it's it's got s- a harder job 
to accomplish um, because that mm-hmm. means you have to suspend your disbelief a bit, even if it's based off of true events. Um, and I think also it de- for me, I guess I'm a bit of a snob, but depending on how well written, you know, it might be. Um, no, that's that's important. The, yeah. the quality of writing of something is very, very important. Yeah. So you're uh, not a snob. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Because uh, I recently read a YA Not novel. in that way. Not in that way. You know, I gotcha. Uh, because my book club that I lead at uh, the high school book club, uh, they were they wanted to do maybe um, let's talk about love. And the main character is a black um, asexual character. And so I was like, okay, well, let me uh-huh. check it out first because then I knew – because of where I work, I would have to make a a statement of, you know, to the head of why it'd be okay if we read this. So I was reading it, and uh, it was great for representation's sake, but um, there were several things that I, like, I disagreed with kind of the characterization, and it wasn't really well written. And so I said, guys, there's there's got to be something better than this, which I actually found um, later on. But anyway, so that's just to say that fiction, I think, has um, a tougher job, at least with me, because um, if it's not well written, then it's going to be hard for me to, to get into the character. But for things like Night or Mouse or March or Persepolis, which is one of my favorites, Yes. Okay. Persepolis was another one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's sort of leaving your baggage at the door um, and coming in with any pre preconceived notions of who these mm-hmm. people are. So if I went in with, um, I guess not technically Islamophobia, but like, you know, oh, Iran, you know, this is going to be, I don't like the, <laughs> the Iranians. They hate um, us for our freedoms. Yeah, you know, that sort of- yeah. So if I did that sort of thing, which it does have some anti-American messages in there that you see at least mm-hmm. surrounding Satrapi um, and her family and everything um, and her talking about the regimes, then you've you've lost it already. So I think it's not coming in with some sort of mindset of what this is going to be, which I occasionally do depending on the author. So if I know I'm going to read Ernest Hemingway, unfortunately, I'm going to come in with a negative attitude. So then it's it's tougher to like it. But um, and Mouse yeah. or, or Knight, um, I think those – you know, it sounds really bad, but for the the unless you're a terrible human being, I feel like reading anything about the Holocaust or the Jews' um, triumphs and tragedies, um, it should be easier for people because generally, I think even though we've, you know, now more conspiracy theories are coming out that it never existed, but people mm-hmm. understand it's a weighty thing. So I think they go in there under, you know, knowing that, oh, this is going to be tough. And so I think they're on the author's side right away. Uh, but other things that might be new, like um, the civil rights movement to, to some people or or kids or something, uh, yeah, they just kind of have to lay aside perhaps their, their white privilege or, or something mm-hmm. like that and just go in. So I would say short answer is to let down your any preconceived notions you may have about the subject and just go in and, uh, yeah, not necessarily know what's what's about to happen. Yeah, I agree. And and to add to that, the, the sort of the, over the years, I've, that's something that I've, I've worked on. You know, um, even even with like events that happen in the news where like, you know, you see it in your personal biases, like, 
already up there. And like I said, there are a lot of men are programmed to think a certain way. And a lot of people who come from, you know, particular backgrounds are thought to are taught even if it's not consciously to think a certain way and your prejudices definitely um, can get the better of you when you're approaching a work like say night or something the other thing the pitfall I think you have to avoid is the detachment that comes with the idea that this happened a long time ago and it's not important to you now because with especially when you're talking about a high schooler or a middle schooler the here and now is the most important because it's all about them and their ego and who they are etc cetera, etc cetera, because they're you know they're the center of the known universe and they've been enabled in that regard as well and i know i sound like an old man and these kids need to get off my lawn but you know, I'm middle aged and these kids do need to get off my lawn. But one of my jobs in teaching night, for instance, and I taught night for nine years when I was up in, you know, teaching 10th grade. I don't teach it now because I don't teach 10th grade um, was to not only teach the very hard lessons to learn from these atrocities, but to connect them to present day. That latter part was the most challenging thing because a lot of the students that I taught were completely disconnected from the idea that the Holocaust, not that the Holocaust happened, but the Holocaust was the sort of thing that happened 70, 80 years ago in another country. And well, it couldn't possibly happen here because this is America, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that empathy of no, no, no. It doesn't matter if it's not happening right here, right now, although, you know, let's be honest, I could have a field day with that, but I'm, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to, for, for brevity's sake, but if it's happening overseas, like it's, you know, what he's asking you to do is feel the compassion and see what you can do to help stop that, even if it is donating to a cause, even if it is writing to your congressman, if it is bringing the attention to the forefront of something going on in like, oh, you know, Darfur back in the early 2000s when I was in high school over in Bosnia. You know, these are things that are atrocities. There are genocides that happen. You know, the, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum website was always an excellent resource for me in studying that book because not only did they have you know artifacts and stuff from the from the holocaust but they had things about what you can do in the modern day and how genocide is happening in our world or Mm -hmm. people have tried it and I'm always trying to make I was always trying to make that connection and that was the hardest thing because they just put the blinders on because to them this is history and history is something that happened a million years ago even though a bunch of holocaust victims are still alive they are starting to die off because Mm -hmm. they're just getting older um you know in the same way that the civil rights movement to a lot of white kids is very detached because it happened in the 60s and the 50s even though many of the people in the civil rights movements are very alive and thriving you know and they only need go back a couple of generations to somebody who was a slave in their family, you know, like if you're doing the genealogy of things, but, but, and, and it's a thing with, with, uh, you know, and I, it sounds like I'm picking on my white students and I am, it is a thing with them where they don't have that can, they don't make that connection because they don't, they've never had had the need to feel that connection because it never happened to them. So that when I said that you got to set your ego aside and stuff and, and you're looking at somebody like, uh, like Ilya Wiesel or Marajan Satrapi or, or John Lewis or something like, you know, those are really, really important. And to connect it to something today is really important as a, as a teacher of literature. Um, 
because because we're always looking for like you know why is this relevant why am i reading this and sometimes i ask myself that too you know like why is the college board so obsessed with the Brontes? I couldn't care less, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, why are we reading this poem? Because the college board is obsessed with the Brontes, at least that might come up on a thing. Okay, yeah, so there's a relevance. But no, why am I reading 1984? Well, let's see. Have you looked at how you click the accept the cookies thing in Facebook lately and how the corporations are watching you and we do a whole thing on no, 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 it's not North Korea that's the big brother thing but because that's the one they always go to because North Korea is an Asian country far off so we can attack, we can, we can hone our racism and we can hone our anti-communism but I always bring it back to what is happening in this country that is Orwellian, you know, and because we need to, and that, that, that's something that I brought up. I brought the allegorical stand-in dystopian protagonist as a way to feel empathy towards something in regard to something that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> you know, like the idea that Winston is our stand-in and we are supposed to gain some sort of understanding of like, you know, and, and feel something or Montag is our stand in or maybe Katniss is or somebody and this society doesn't exist yet. But like how this is where you can put yourself in their, in their skin and be like, how would I react? How would I be the rebel? What would I do? And I think that's another level of empathy. What do you think about that? <laughs> how how do I, I dominate? I'm sorry. I'm dominating. The no, that's okay. Oh, uh, well, could you repeat the question one more time? Hmm. So I was thinking about dystopian literature. Yes. Uh, mainly because I'm, te- I'm actually on the very, very end of my 1984 unit. And we've covered 84. We've covered um, Hunger Games. We've talked about Fahrenheit um, and uh, uh, Station Eleven. Oh. That was the name of the book, right? Oh, you're talking about yeah, which us. is dystopian. Like, you know, plus you did that? Yeah, us. No, oh, no. no, it is. Yeah. Oh, I would love to cover that book in, in AP English. I, I'm, I might put it on an independent read next year. But anyway. That aside, so these you have main characters in those books who are you know supposed to be the ones who are fighting against the system, but they're also kind of stand-ins for us. Yeah. And like, so do, am, am I correct in saying you can gain some empathy through a book like that because you're supposed to feel like, okay, how would I handle this? Is that I a healthy so. way to look at those books? <laughs> yeah, I think um, the challenge for us. I think is to look for literature that isn't our story. And that's, like I said, I I like to look for that, Mm -hmm. but you can't do that all the time. I think it's really draining. Um, also to always just like, Oh, looking for other stories because there is a, a, a sustaining quality or getting sustenance from finding a story that is close to your own because, um, and and I think, you know, we as white people and, and cisgendered, both of us, that's easier for us. Uh, cause I just think about, you know, some of the students I have either Hispanic, um, or, um, you know, they may be queer or, uh, black, you know, and they're looking for stories that, that reach them. Um, they, <laughs> it's harder for them, unfortunately, to find. Um, whereas I think for, for white characters, it's easier for us. But yeah, I do also like to have stories that I can really get into it. And I feel like this character is making similar decisions, maybe that I would make, or I feel, uh, like a kindred spirit and I'm really on board with this person and any losses or wins that this person's getting, I'm, you know, um, 
I'm trying to think of literature that is like that because Ray keeps popping up in my head um, just because <laughs> I think for, for and, you know, just to say that with Star Wars, and I love Star Wars, but I feel like with the female mm-hmm. characters – a lot of them were like wish fulfillment or just not, you know, as close to me as they could be. But once Ray popped up on the, on the screen, uh, I immediately fell in love with her just because I felt like she was very – and this you – know, she was an every woman, just like Barbara Gordon, you know, Becker yeah. one. So there it is, the literature. So one of the reasons why I love her is that I, I feel like I could be her. I feel like I could be her BFF. Um, and she's just so relatable how people underestimate her. So those are stories and, and, and I can – and get really attached to characters then and sometimes it affects me negatively because i get too attached um a book i read this summer called the nightingale by Kristen hannah was an amazing story uh, of two sisters in world war ii and both of them had i think qualities i could see myself in but they were also they were very different they had struggles and the end just like really affected me and i kind of had melancholia for a couple of days or a week afterwards i've had um, that happen before yeah so it's it's uh you know it's a uh, but that's what makes literature so amazing and you can really applaud the author that the author can do that to you um, and not out of like a sick sense of, you know, I'm really going to get you. But just to have this wonderful and beautiful story because it was beautiful in its sadness or even thinking about Of Mice and Men and how sad that yeah. ending is, but also how much beauty there is in that as well. And, and even, put, you know, putting yourself in, in the character of George and thinking what would you do in that situation even though I'm not a man I can absolutely have that so I think absolutely and I think it's a way I think you have um, you should be reading things that are stories about someone that is not you putting yourself in someone Mm -hmm. else's skin but I think also to sustain yourself because I do think that that could be detrimental to never read anything that relates to you I I do think that there's a level of empathy that could be detrimental to you um, that you should find things that relate to you speak to you that you can really get into that character as well because those are just a lot of fun and they can affect you you know maybe negatively maybe positively but that's part of the journey and that's part of the the beauty of literature yeah, and well, and, and I and I agree with you, and 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 there's a good the fact that you that you balance it, and that you you do these things in, in a certain amount of moderation, or that you cast a wide net across literature is also really important, just in general in your approach to reading, right? Like, I'm part one of those people who will sample just about any genre, um, and and I like for instance, I was just. Um, reading a book uh, by Elizabeth Acevedo called With the Fire on High, which is about a Puerto Rican um, girl in Philadelphia who is like a senior in high school and she's got a two-year-old kid and she's like a really good cook. And it's such a, it was, so it took me about a couple of days to read. I read it over the weekend as part of our reading program through the library at school. And before I go on with my point, a shout out to the librarians out there who like deliberately stock libraries and put diverse books on display like all year. Like my librarians, it's not like, 
we just have a bunch of books by black authors in February. No, that stuff's out. Like the, the LGBTQ books are out. The Latin Latinx books are out. Like, you know, there's a whole section of here's these all these popular novels in Spanish because we have a lot of Spanish speaking students. I mean, like they are amazing. And I go in there and I like I like window shop the library and I like take pictures of books I'm going to check out at one point or another. And it's just like they are really committed to like we have a diverse audience at school. Let's get them into the library and reading diverse books. So like I took my freshman in for like an independent reading project and they did this sort of genre tasting with them and it was like they're they're doing exactly what you're talking about they're like i'm seeing myself in some of these books because the canon that is on approved curriculum lists is very white and very dead you know mm-hmm. because we've been teaching homer since yep. homer we've been teaching Sha- i love shakespeare but we've been teaching shakespeare since my parents generation or before that so we need to we need to diversify that and and i'm reading this story about this girl and like it's really it's happy it's sad in places and you worry about her through a lot of it because of just the kind of crap she's dealing with and i don't want to give too much away because i really recommend it but like i walked away from that i'm like i really love this book and because it was it was positive and it was just it was just amazing. And I was like, you know, and then this is a character who I am not, you know, and, and, and so that's where I appreciate being able to look at the window of, you know, of another person. But at the same time, as cliche as it is, when I was 16 years old, I identified with Holden Caulfield. And I hear a lot of dismissive and we're going to get to the catcher in the rye at some point as well. Um, (laughs) I hear a lot of dismissive nowadays of Holden Caulfield because he is a rich white male from a prep school who has a, you know, has a nervous breakdown, basically. But at the same time, I don't like feeling dismissive. I feel that's dismissive of him. And I feel plural in a way that we talked about earlier of like, you know, um, needing to understand like why, why boys like that can't express their feelings. There's stuff like he is the second most one character in, in the history of literature. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. There's a lot about him that I'm just like nowadays. I'm like, oh, God, like, you know, you look at it as a 42 year old back. I'm like, was I that annoying at 16? Probably. But. <laughs> That was somebody I saw myself in, and I still find that to be very, you know, and then people might be very, um, you might really identify with the characters and like the outsiders. And even if you're not white or something. So there, there, so you're right. There's a value in looking for yourself in the story, and there's a value in seeing what other people have. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think, you know, and, and I think, yeah, like as, as somebody who's, again, who's white and cisgendered, et cetera, um, seeking out those other stories um, is good because it gives you a better understanding of people who aren't like you. But it also like also shows some of the commonalities too, like the shared experiences we have. Universal themes in literature are a thing, you know, so like you can see how there is an interconnected or an intersection of things. And I think that is really important as well. That um, that you know, not everything is completely starkly different between two two different types of people. Oh, and and one more thing, um, you can count me in the chorus of people who think that Rose Tico got like a totally bad deal in, in, oh in the Rise of Skywalker. I was yeah. so like the minute I saw her and the minute I saw that scene, I was like, are you? I was just like, are you kidding me? Because <laughs> I liked that character. Yeah, I thought the. 
I thought in the last Jedi, I thought that whole that plot went on a little too long. I thought they maybe could have trimmed a little time, not of her, just of the of the that storyline. Yeah. Um, but I liked her, and I because I liked her because she had nothing to do with the Skywalkers. You know, it was this yeah. is a fresh character. It's a it's a and it's a woman, and, and she was she was interesting to me. You know, <laughs> so and then and then JJ was like, "No, I don't need her," and I'm just like, "Ugh." Well, I I mean, I'd like to hear what he has to say about it, but I just feel like he was bowing to the demands and negativity of the fans. And I agree with you. <laughs> so, um, and if you want more thoughts on that, by the way, you can hear Stella on questions we don't have answers with Carol and Coca and Don and 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 Harold and. Um, Harold! <laughs> See, I knew you'd say that. Uh, which was out what was about three weeks ago? Yeah, yep. Two yeah, or three main... weeks ago. Yeah, yep, yep. As of this it was recording, about, yeah, female action stars basically are action movies, and the crux yeah. of it was about the Birds of Prey film that had just come out. But we Prey do movie, certainly yeah. get into yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's. I just listened to it over the weekend because I'm a little behind on that on that show, and it was really really good. So I do recommend it. Um, well, thank you. Any other. Yeah, any other characters that you can think of as I go back to our questions um, that you really identified with who were either like you or were not like you or that you, you feel that you gained something like like em- empathetic reaction? Out of it? Yeah, uh, you know, I just read a book called My Name is Asher Lev. And I don't have the author with me right now, but it is uh, it follows a young Jewish boy as he grows up in a conservative Jewish family that that's not, I think, Hasidic is the proper term. Um, So rather like really orthodox. Yes. And um, (laughs) he has this like gift. He has a sorry, I said like he has a gift of art and this ability just to see and and put things down. And it's uh, so I would say without, you know, giving away because you see his um, as he grows up and you see his relationship with his father, which is really fraught with tension. And but there were moments that I really felt connected to Asher Lev. Now I am not Jewish; uh, I, I am Christian. But there were just the, he has this uh, struggle between being the artist and potentially doing things that artists would do, like uh, figure drawing or nude study, things like that, that the religion would very much be against. And so this is something you know that I I'm not going to get into. It extremely which mm-hmm. is something that i also struggle you know like my christianity versus you know my involvement with the world and that sort of thing so there were moments at first i thought i don't like this kid at all and then as he grew up and i was starting to see these things i go like oh wow this is really it's getting to me so i would say that that would be something that um that was one that i related to recently uh ernest hemingway um <laughs> Because I'm a not lot a huge of his, fan. <laughs> yeah, I basically I've read maybe three or four now because they've been on my reading list, and every time I know I'm not, you know, the movable feast was it was okay because that was his time in in Paris, but just it's so uh, almost macho 
and just yeah. not there's not much hope in his books and his characters almost seem like I mean I read his characters and I think gosh is that what Ernest Hemingway is actually like so it's just I can never get in any of the characters I just I, I can't mm-hmm. get into um, so that you know Jane Eyre of course we've talked about it I can absolutely mm-hmm. you know I absolutely can can be on board and, and be Jane Eyre so those would just be a couple examples I'm trying to think of one that I just like this is a terrible thing I can't get <laughs> with this character at all but one that i'm struggling with currently is um my book club is reading the green mile and um Mm -hmm. we've been talking about some of these characters that clearly they're antagonistic and so you can't get on board but then we have a couple prisoners that even though they did these terrible things you feel this empathy and compassion for them and so we've been discussing gosh is that wrong to feel the way we feel towards these people because they did these horrible things so that's something um that hopefully we can we can talk about later on yeah i am i'm trying to think see i'm not a big Hemingway fan either I've read one novel and a, f- and a handful of short stories, and I might check out a couple of other ones, but I'm not, you know, if I have to pick between him and John Steinbeck, I'll pick John Steinbeck. Oh, absolutely. Um, especially like The Creeps of Wrath, again, just like, which puts you in the in the shoes or the skin of, of people who were destitute poor in the Depression and were migrants and things, and, and they... You know, and so again, a perspective that I don't have that that I feel like again, I'm glad you mentioned the whole idea of reading about characters who are outside of your particular belief system and seeing how they might struggle or how it causes how it brings you to. I don't know, struggle with your beliefs, but at least um, it creates a sort of dissonance that also, you know, helps create like kind of critical it activates critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Which which sounds like, you know, so you're not taking the attack that we were talking about earlier where you come in with your with your blinders on because you have certain biases because of your own belief system or something. Right. So you've you've taken that off and now you are thinking critically about it. And it kind of goes back to whether or not you agree with certain things or whatever. But at least you are. You know, you're, you're you're challenging yourself. I think that's the best way to put it. So and, and I, I think I think I've certainly gone there as well. I mentioned Caulfield. I'm trying to think of other characters that. You know that that I have come back to. Um, I've always felt something about Nick in The Great Gatsby because he is in a big way like an avatar for us. So the idea that he's looking at around these people and granted he is a little more enamored of Gatsby than I ever would be because my view is a lot more cynical when I'm looking at all these people. I think there's like maybe one other character, Nick's girlfriend Jordan, probably is the only person I'd look look at and go basically go like look at all of these a-holes, you know, like just you know, because it's just, you know, it's just basically, you know, if, if you if you take away that, you take away this sort of what I see is almost like a criticism of the rich. We talk about the failure of the American dream. And I'm just like, you know, these people are just awful. I've sought out maybe it's because I'm a father. I've sought out more books of where you might have people dealing with their parents or dealing with their um their their sons and things like that and and i'm trying to think of a few (laughs) and i can't the struggle that i might see some of my students or or younger generation now go off in when i read books about war whether about whether it's all quiet on the front or the things they carried you know 
and and is this a good window for me into what somebody is going through on the front lines of something as opposed to what I would see in like, you know, Commando or Predator or, you know, like or because I was raised or G.I. Joe, you know, I was raised on these movies and TV shows mm-hmm. and stuff. And when you get into the more gritty things that are more honest about what happens in war, you get a much different perspective. So I think of things like that. I'm doing my mental look on my bookshelf up in my, up in my bedroom, you know, like up in my office, like, what do I have that I can really bring off, you know, and and um, uh you know, I was really the funny thing was I was really affected by like I want to reread Station Eleven because I just want to reread it. You know, like mm-hmm. that was a book that I really, really enjoyed and because of the character. So a strong character makes you feel like you feel something with that character and for them and and upon a reread. Um I don't think I could ever feel exactly the way that the characters in Beloved feel. Mm-hmm. But I I want to bring that up because not only that, because I, I reread it the last or late last year because I was teaching it. And I think it's a good example of how empathy works um, both for and against people because it's not the empathy that you might feel as the reader, but the empathy the characters feel toward each other because they have the shared experience of all ha- of, of some of them having been a lot of them having been former slaves. And Paul D. and Setha both having been slaves on the same plantation with the same masters, with the same. So they, they come from a shared experience and we see how that shared experience allows them to connect one another with one another. And it it's they both connect on a level where they can care for one another, but they connect on a level where they conflict with one another as well. So you have I think that's something that, you know, where empathy works within the context of a plot and a novel to help make the story more vivid and, and create deeper characterizations so you can explore the themes that like, like Morrison is going for. So I, I wanted to bring up that too, because the empathy might be, you know, within the work. So we're seeing how it operates. And and I think and and Beloved and To Kill a Mockingbird were the two examples that I thought of off the top of my head. And Beloved, because of the fact that you have here are all these characters who literally shared experiences and we're going to see how they support one another, but also how they are. um, They they can also kind of drag one another down or there's they come into conflict with one another. So I think that's I think that's a really, really good example of how empathy can work in literature as well. Do you think that's true of uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Mm, yeah, that's a really good example. Because they're all in that shared space together? Mm-hmm. And they all have, especially like if you're in looking at it from the point of view of the chief who's, I think he's been there like the longest. He's seen all the people come and go and he has this not institutional, no pun intended, knowledge. And yeah, you're right. The the camaraderie, but also the conflict that exists um, through him, McMurphy, and some of the other and how they band together against Nurse Ratched, but also how she she knows how to <laughs> she she's ironically like she's not empathetic because she's a combatant, but she knows how all of them think so she can use that against them in that sort of way. You know, where she really knows how to get she knows how is it Billy Babbitt? Billy, I think so, the yeah. guy who slits his throat at the end of the novel, yeah, who's she's always harping on his mother. I mean, she understands how he operates, which is mm-hmm. that sort of like it's twisted. It's really twisted because she essentially manipulates him. I think we talked we did talk about this. I mean, she essentially manipulates him into doing that. Mm-hmm. But then she blames it on McMurphy. Right. 
And it's because it's Billy, what would your mother think? And it's just like a sort of twisted way <laughs> of using it in the same way. But yeah, I think that's a really good example. Um, I'm looking at our questions. Do you have anything else? Uh, just, I mean, I would, I wonder if there are any examples of works that you found yourself feeling empathy towards a character that in, that maybe <laughs> is conflicting with like, you know, maybe that they have a poor moral code or they've done mm. something bad. You know, I used my example of the Green Mile, specifically the character of Delacroix. Um mm. And just, yeah, I mean, should we, should this give us pause? Uh, and the opposite is true of, are, are there characters that if we don't feel empathy, like, should that give us pause too? Should we feel convicted, either feeling bad for characters that maybe, you know, I, I don't know, that they've done a bad thing? Is there such a thing as, you know, someone who doesn't deserve empathy? That might be the question too. I'm coming back to Frankenstein. Okay. And I'm coming back to either Victor or the monster. And I think in some way they answer both of them answer both of those questions, because mm -hmm. I think that you can feel some serious empathy for the creature monster. Oh, yeah. But the monster kills people. He just wants, people. A, companion. He just wants yeah. a companion. But, but he yeah. does kill like Victor's entire family. And um, but at the same time, you know, uh, I don't think we're supposed to feel empathetic toward Victor. But I think he's a sort of person like you. Like, I, I find myself intrigued by this man and I want to see what happens and kind of understanding of where he's coming from and that his, you know, clearly there's mental issues, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't like him. Yeah. You know, I don't think we're supposed to like him, but you know, that, that there's somebody who you can't necessarily like, but there's a connection yet. The monster does horrible things that you do feel for the monster. So that was Frankenstein was my answer. What about you? Um, Oh, as someone that, Mm -hmm. I, I can't get behind it all. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, any of the, like the Hemingways, as I said, I couldn't really. Um, Atlas Shrugged, is that the one I read? No, The Fountainhead. Um, oh, that God, was why? an interesting read. <laughs> oh, the main character on that one, that was, oh boy, was that interesting. Uh, man, I feel like there have been so many now that I've been put on the spot. Someone that I could not. Uh, I actually, there was something I recently read, and they called her the female version of Holden Caulfield. Let me pull up mm -hmm. what this was called because I can't remember. Um, and she was just doing like really weird stuff, and I didn't necessarily, I mean, I kind of could see the connection with Holden Caulfield, but I felt like I might have had a better um connection with him than i did with her mm -hmm. so i wouldn't say that i despised her but let's see here it was called dun, da, 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 how the light gets in by mj highland so i guess i would say that might be uh one of the ones that i i disagreed with um okay yeah i'll just stop there so i don't go uh, uh anymore <laughs> all right well I, I think we've done enough or Vanity Fair. Ah, uh, yeah, Vanity Fair. Honestly, with Becky, yeah, you're, yeah. I mean, it's hard to get behind Becky. <laughs> Quite honestly, I would wonder who, um, and you know, some of her circumstances because we find out about her 
you know, the the world was against her, basically. Society was against her. She was not born in the best place. Her mother was a showgirl and her father was an artist. So you want to feel something for her and hope she rises up. But the way she does it is so horrible that you just can't get behind her. So that's an even better one yeah. than how the light gets in, quite honestly, especially since we both both have read it. Yeah. All right. Good. Awesome. Um, <laughs> all right. So I think that's good. I think, And we got plenty. Of, I think we... I think we handled that pretty well. <laughs> Actually, that was that that's was, good. Yeah, uh, for starting for... off with just a title and not yeah. you know, it, it being so nebulous. Yeah, kind of. I think we. Uh, I, I really thought we don't have any feedback, at least any that I ported over to our document. So feel free to send us feedback on this or the Aeneida or anything else uh, that we've done. So um, that'll do it for this episode. But before we go, we have one question that I always ask at the end. And this time, Stella is going to give us the title of the next work of literature we're reading so stella what are we reading for next month yeah an ever popular <laughs> i don't know if it is but it certainly is an interesting topic we're going to be reading the 2005 play doubt by john patrick shanley all right so i'm gonna read that and it is um it's not too terribly long i believe it's no about I think the edition that I downloaded was sixty or seventy pages, so it's a, uh, it's it's a very, it's a very short play. But um, yeah, we'll be back in about a month with that. And until then, um, thank you very much for listening and take care. And be sure to practice empathy. Yes, very much. Good night. For listening to Required Reading with Tom and Stella, which is brought to you by two, two—that's two true. If you're interested in learning more about the books we've read or want to comment on the episode, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com/requiredreadingwithtomandstella. If you would like to email us to comment on the episode or continue our discussion, you can reach us at requiredreadingcast at gmail.com. We will read every email we get on future episodes. We're looking for more visibility, so if you liked this episode or the show in general, why not leave us a review in iTunes? If you're interested in following along with the books we read, you can do that and support us at the same time. Just go to twotruefreaks.com, click the Amazon.com link. Every purchase you make will go to support us and the other TTF podcast. It costs you nothing extra, but it really helps us out. Thanks again for listening and come back next month for our next episode. Oh,